0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Wiz. Today, we're talking with Anjali Bargava, who is the founder of Bijabar and the creator of Resilience Turmeric Elixir. She's one of my past retail-ready students. So in today's episode, I'm going to do some live brainstorming with Anjali as we talk through rolling out new packaging, expanding her product line, and educating her consumer about her super high-quality turmeric products. We do live coaching like this in Retail Ready, both twice per month in our group coaching calls as well as daily in our private Facebook group. So I'm really excited to give my listeners a sneak peek into what Retail Ready support looks like from me and to let you guys be a fly on the wall with my convo with Anjali. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it, so stay tuned.
1: You're listening to Food Biz Wiz the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going.
0: Hi, Anjali. It's great to have you on the show today. Hi, Allie. I'm so
1: excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Me too. Okay, so let me do a little intro about you, and then we're going to dive right in. So you guys, my whizzes, I'm going to tell you about Anjali. She is one of my favorite producers. And if you guys don't know about Resilience Turmeric Elixir, you're missing out. So in short, it is a really high quality, really thoughtfully sourced and produced powdered drink mix with Hawaiian turmeric as the base. So it is It is so freaking delicious. I have been hooked on it for a couple of years now. And that's pretty noteworthy because I tend to bop around from brand to brand as I discover new products on the shelves. So Anjali's is a food entrepreneur in New York who launched Bija Bar in 2014 out of her own need for healthy food products that could be really easy to use in her busy An unpredictable daily life as a freelancer. So, Anjali, can you talk a little bit about starting Bijabar and what you were doing before you went down on the path of starting a food business?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, I was uh, actually working as an artist and portrait photographer, um, and my work always centered around the theme of empowerment. Mm. So, I was always talking to my subjects and friends about this topic and. Inevitably, so many of the conversations came back to food. Um, and, you know, in my own sort of wellness journey, I've always experimented and tried to find solutions that that supported me in my path. Um, and so when I became sort of disenchanted with photography as a career, <laughs> incidentally around the same time that Instagram and iPhones really took <laughs> off, um, I spent a lot more time focusing on my health and the kitchen became more of my primary creative outlet. Um, so when I, when I ended up creating a product that I just thought was um, a special product uh, that came out of my knowledge of Ayurveda and my dissatisfaction with the quality of things in the marketplace, I felt like it was something that I really needed to do
0: yeah, that makes total sense. So for our listeners who who don't know you, I'll say you are an Indian woman. You were born in Canada and then spent some time in Connecticut, actually not far from where I grew up. Yes. and then you and then you moved to New York, right? So um, using turmeric in your your cooking and in your health, I imagine, was something that you've you've known for for decades, right?
1: Oh yeah. I, I don't remember when I first had turmeric. I am sure it was before I could speak. Um, and it was always something my mom would give me when I wasn't well. And at first I would gag on it and complain, but you know, I, I remember at a point asking her for it because I didn't feel great and I knew that it would help. Oh, um, I, so I it love was, that. It's yeah. part of the fabric of my upbringing.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, On that note, can we talk a little bit about the saturation of the turmeric, of turmeric products in the market right now? I know, you know, you started in 2014, which is before, you know, slightly before we hit that craziness of turmeric products. I want to, we're going to go into this a little bit more um, on the call today, but I want to know on a basic level, how you feel about the saturation of it and why your product is, what makes it different than other products on the market?
1: You know, I, I love seeing how much <laughs> turmeric is everywhere. Um, I wasn't sure. In 2014, there were certainly a few things. Certainly, if you looked in the supplement section, there was plenty of turmeric. Um, and you started seeing a couple of drinks. But, uh, you know, I tasted them and I wasn't particularly fond of anything in the, in the powdered forms, at least. Yep. Um, there were definitely like the juice bars who were doing it. Um, and there were a few ready to drinks. Yep. Um, but you know, the convenience factor and even the cost effectiveness was, was a problem, um, uh, for me and my, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> socioeconomic standing yep. at the time. Yep. Um, so, uh, it's, it's something that was a gamble, but I felt it was, it was the time I felt like it was important um, I, I love how now people always come up to my table when I'm at a market and say, oh my God, turmeric is so hot. It's like the new thing.
0: <laughs> and You're like, like, lady, we have been using this for centuries.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of the most ancient medicines uh, on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's great. Um, I think like one of the things that I want to be in the marketplace is is something that pushes other people's standards. Um, I want to, I want to set the bar really, really high. Um, and and the only thing I'll say is that I'm disappointed by how much bad quality product is on the shelf. And even in places where I would think that I I would think that the buyers would be more discriminating, frankly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sure.
1: Sure. So, you know, like even, yeah, even like simply being organic or, people just using buzzwords and saying things like, you know, source from around the world, which really <laughs> means nothing. So, yeah. you know, I feel like there's a lot of marketing speak that's being yep. put onto things that aren't particularly uh, well thought out um, yep. or well balanced. Um, so I, I would like to see the quality get better. Yep. Um, but I think uh, seeing where things are now, I don't think turmeric is going anywhere. I think it's here to stay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That makes me excited. And I have to say like, before you joined retail already, I would, I would use turmeric as an ingredient in my cooking. Um, you know, primarily in savory cooking and I had not consumed it as in, in its powdered form as a, as a beverage. Um, and now I crave it. I mean, I was, (laughs) I was not kidding when, when I said in my intro that you're, I mean, you, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but your product is so delicious. And I, and I so often find that I'm, I'm craving it when I'm a little fatigued or feeling under the weather. Um,
1: I, I still crave it, which I think is, is a really good sign. <laughs> um, because I, I do think that, you know, I, I, there were times when I avoided it because I had very little inventory. So I wouldn't take any for myself. And then I'd be like, no, I need it. <laughs> um, and I think one of the reasons why people don't drink it or like sometimes have a negative connotation with it is because most of the stuff that we're cooking with has been, well, one, it's often grown in in dirty soil that can have heavy metals in it and that mm-hmm. gets into the flavor. Yep. Uh, then it's processed very badly. Most of it's boiled and 15 minutes of boiling kills 85% of the benefit, but it also makes it taste really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um and and it does have this sort of metallic thick taste to it. Yep. Um, and then it's ground at high temperatures. Um and that kills more benefit and then it's often oxidizing for 3 to 5 years before it even gets to the grocery store shelf. Yeah. So you put a half a teaspoon in your you know your rice or whatever or your soup. You're not going to taste it too much, but you want to make like a drink that you want to like curl up on your couch with it's it's not going to be lovely. So I think, um, yeah. you know, you know, you can mask it with things, but what I've really tried to do with my blend is not only source it super carefully, it's all grown in amazing soil in Hawaii. Um, we grind it fresh for every batch at low temperatures. We grind it to a super fine powder. So um, it doesn't have any of that grittiness that other products have. Yeah. Um, and then it also has more surface area. So you actually get more absorption. Hmm. And then it's mixed with things that, you know, you can say coincidentally, but I think that's how mother nature often works. It's things that boost the bioavailability and the absorption, but also happen to taste amazing with it. Yeah.
0: Like your lemon peel that I know that you as being a crazy lady are still <laughs> like, pro- love. producing it all yourself as well. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One day I'll find someone who makes a great lemon peel. If someone's listening, that makes a great, good quality... Yes lemon peel, please let me know. Cause yes. I tired of my dehydrator, especially as I scale.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll say, I think we should say like, you have been sourcing or like, like mining retail ready students for sourcing of this. You are like posting about it on Instagram. Like I've seen you like asking and asking and asking your network, um, to no avail. So we're looking for super, super high quality dried lemon peel. Right.
1: Yeah. And without any fillers, that's the big thing. Actually, lemon, my lemon powder and my lemon peel, the, the biggest issue is you can get plenty of organic lemon peel, but then they put silica dioxide and other, you know, flow agents, which really aren't necessary, especially given that I mix it with all these other ingredients that yep. help with that issue. Yep. Um, so I'm really just looking for the pure, pure thing.
0: I hope... That you get a few great leads from this podcast. That, <laughs> that would is be amazing. that is my wish for you. Okay, so let's let's talk. I want to talk a little little bit about Retail Ready, and I want to go through a few of the questions that you submitted. So, so you and I met back when you were working out of Pilot Works, right? That shared kitchen space in New York yes, where same. I was a mentor. We don't need to go down the Pilot Works path, <laughs> but do you remember? I don't, this has been a couple of years ago. So do you remember how you felt before you joined Retail Ready and why you decided to to come into the program?
1: So I remember we had, had an initial call when you were mentoring yep. there. And I remember just getting off that call and feeling so pumped and motivated and excited and just so grateful that there were actually people out there who had the information and were willing to help. Um, <laughs> And we're so enthusiastic to help. And then I, I had sent you one of my tins as a thank yeah. you. Um, and because I think I had described it, but I wanted you to actually like see it and touch it. Yep. Um, and then you had done a video. Yep. Um, of, of like unpackaging it and yep. looking at it. And that was really cool. And I think you had, you also got some nice traction out of yep. that. Yep. Um, and, and then I think we met, Actually, before I signed up for Retail Ready yes. when I was in, yes. in San Francisco last January, yep. Um, and it was just one of those things where, actually, even without looking at the full curriculum, I was like, I know that there was there was so much knowledge and so much sort of confidence that I could gain hmm. just by knowing that I had this amazing resource on my team. I love that. Thank um, you. <laughs> Thank you. And and then I knew also the curriculum like. I'll say I probably wasn't your most diligent retail-ready student. <laughs> I still have assignments that I haven't fully finished. And I, like, I, I, I know that one day I'm going to... I But I, I keep reminding myself of them. I'm like, I'm doing something. I'm like, oh, I remember Allie talking about this. And, yeah. you know, I have to update my sell sheet. Like, uh, you know, do I, do I have to have a separate price list and sell <laughs> sheet? And you know, should I do a new shelf talker? And yeah. So I, you know, you, you pop up in, in my brain frequently. So I, I know it made it mark. I love that.
0: And I also, one of the things I think about with Retail Ready, and I don't say it enough, but uh, I think it's totally fine to pick and choose what content you use in retail ready. Like the way I think about it is like joining a new gym that has 24 different classes on the schedule. Inevitably, you aren't going to connect or like want to go to every single class. Like maybe you go to the spin classes and the strength training, but you never go to the Pilates or whatever. And who cares, right? As long as you are getting what you need out of the course, like that's all that matters.
1: Well, and yeah, and there's so much more beyond what we even need. Like there's things that you don't realize you need. Like the, I feel like the connections I've made with other producers, Yeah, I know it's sort of a fringe benefit, but like having that community, I have my local New York community and the people I've met just, you know, organically, but having this like group that I know has already gone through the same curriculum and like you know, that we, we just, there's, there's a way that it feels like a, another food family. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. That makes me, that makes me so happy. Um, okay. So let's, let's get into it. So Anjali, I think we have, we have a few things to talk about the, but the main one that I feel like we're going to make the biggest traction with today is this idea of the big changes that you just made to your packaging and how you're going to roll them out over the next couple months to capture sales, right? Yes. Okay. Do you want to do you want to ask the question in your own words, or do you want me to summarize sure. what you asked? Okay, I'll, I'll ask you. So okay.
1: yeah, so I've been doing my single sachets, hand filling them for a couple of years now. We were calculating I probably hand filled like somewhere between forty and sixty thousand sachets um, <laughs> in in rented kitchen space, which is obscene. But uh, yeah, so. I have now moved to having a co-packer do it, just did 50,000 sachets, and I'm continuing the box of 10 singles. Yep. Um, uh, I just have a slightly different shape now. It's a little rectangular instead of square. Yep. Um, but then I added to that a new perforated display box of 25 single sachets, which is actually some, something that we discussed when I was in retail ready and yep. is now happening. It took, it, it took <laughs> a year and a half to do it. But yep. um, the idea is that that will help get the product in front of more people at the front of the store at the checkout line. I one of my dreams is to get it into airports and other grab and go spots, yeah. so that people, you know, who are in a hurry and need that little boost, can find something that's organic and high quality, and then that introduces them to my brand as well, so that they can come back for, um, you know, the bigger size. Totally. Sizes. totally. Um, and so that's done. And then I also um, have my precious. <laughs> that have been a favorite, especially during the holiday season. Yep. A beautiful um, yellow metal tin, right? Yes. That, you know, as it is there, they have an insert inside of them. Um, the insert is, is filled and heat sealed and then put into the tin and then closed. And then there's a tamper seal and then a label around it, which is just the labor and the number of pieces. It It's just, it wasn't scalable. So as I looked at making more products and wanting to get it into more stores and get it into distribution, um, the solution that I came up with, um, it was important that it was something that was, uh, you know, as eco-friendly as possible, that was recyclable. So I came up with a paper canister. Yep. So a 15 serving paper canister is, is going to be replacing the tins. And I'm also introducing the unsweetened canister. Yeah, Um, which is another. It's also 15 servings and then a two ounce pure turmeric canister. Um, And the set of three of them is, is really beautiful. They're distinct. And, and the hope is that, you know, retailers will carry two or all three of them, um, which will attract more people to the shelf and hopefully to my product, but will also feel like a more regular purchase instead of just a gift purchase. Totally. Um, And that's
0: something that you and I talked about, right? Like while those tins were so beautiful, they, they also signified that it was really like precious product inside and product that would, that should be like, I mean, it is precious product, but it, it, it's not so, it's not so precious that it needs to be hidden in the back of the pantry. Right.
1: Right. So premium, but not. Yes. Overly precious,
0: yes. Like I literally would hide it from my husband because <laughs> I wanted to save all of the servings for myself.
1: So yeah, so they're finally here. My hope was that they'd be here in August. Yep. It's now the middle of the fourth quarter. Yep. So I do have some inventory of my old SKUs. Um, and I'm actually probably going to offer a little disc. I was thinking of offering a little discount to my retailers who really loved that and wanted the the, the specifically gift item um, just to get that cleared out and to start yep. getting the new SKU into circulation. Yep. But I'm, I'm just a little, I'm a little concerned about confusing people so late in the year, but I also feel like this is the season when, you know, I could get these new SKUs out there and get it to customers as soon as possible. So, uh And just, you know, I'm I'm wondering if I should try to limit it. Like, you know, Amazon has its whole other thing, but e-commerce versus brick and mortar and holiday markets. And then all the social media posts that go along with it. Like I want to launch the new product, but I still have old inventory. So yeah, love thoughts on how to... I have lots
0: of thoughts on this. And I first, I'll just say congratulations for getting this done. I know that it, like you said, it is... It's been a long time coming and I have seen your new packaging. It is it is really beautiful. So anyone listening, what we'll do is we'll put up a picture of the old packaging and the new packaging on the show notes so people can see the side by side. And I'll say one of the things that is that is helpful is that you didn't do, you already had a beautiful brand, right? You already had beautiful packaging. So you've refreshed some of the, the actual container and the the sizing of it, but you didn't do a complete brand overhaul where your shoppers and your retailers wouldn't, would no longer recognize your product, right? Like it looks pretty similar in the best way. Okay, so I think that that being said, you you already have an advantage because you don't have to reintroduce people to a completely new brand. They're still going to recognize you on the shelf. Um, they're still going to recognize you on your social profiles, um, but you've just got a slightly different shape. So, so I've got a few things to say here. One, this is advice from my mom, and it is we always think. People are spending more time thinking about us and thinking about our actions than they actually are. And so I say this in the, like, we're always the ones who think about ourselves the most, right? Um, And I say this in the nicest way possible. And to remind you that this probably feels like a big deal to you because you've been thinking about it for a year, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, This is a pretty easy thing that we can we can move through and we can strategize about you're going to make some moves and we're going to be talking in 90 days and it's going to be over. Right. Okay. So, um, so the first thing that I would advise that you do, and maybe you've already done this Anjali, but I would advise that you calculate some actual numbers about how much inventory you have on hand and how quickly it would sell through on each channel. So direct to consumer wholesale accounts. Um, I'm don't, you're not doing any of this new packaging for food service, right?
1: No. Okay. So
0: do you have a sense, like if you, if you kept selling at your steady rate, how long it would take through to sell through in each of these different channels?
1: The, the fastest sell through would be to my retailers to, you know, my brick and mortar accounts. Like, you know, I think with some of the holiday Sales, I think that if I did discount it and I sent out an email to my buyers, I could sell through my remaining inventory this week.
0: Okay, great. So that means that it's not a big deal, right? Like you are not sitting on tons and tons of inventory. You're gonna you're gonna be done with it pretty quickly. So you can do a couple things. My gut, Anjali, is that you should save your tins. For your holiday shows, for your holiday fairs, and sell direct to consumer on those, so you capture the most margin on them. You know they're going to sell for holiday time because they're so giftable, and then you don't have to like worry so much about the transition with retailers about like uh, doing putting them on sale and transitioning in like um, a staggered fashion, depending on who's selling out first. How would that feel?
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that I have more than I will sell at most holiday fairs. So the only thing my, my fear with that is that I'm going to post pictures on social media of the new canisters, and that people at the markets are going to expect them to be there because mm-hmm. they, you know, they found out about the event on social media and they've seen the packaging. Um, but yeah. And then I don't want to end up with leftovers. Yeah. Um, after if I have slow markets. Yeah. So I think that you can continue to
0: sell your tins on your web store, um, you know, through your website directly for, I don't want to say forever and ever. Cause I know that the point is that you get rid of them, but, um, selling them direct to consumer via your website is a really easy option to get rid of excess inventory moving into the new year. Um, it's not weird. Like you are, you are able to control the messaging on your web store. Um, and whether you want to put that on sale or not, like we can, we can talk about that, but I think it's, I think you try to move as much inventory as you can in your holiday fairs where you know, they're going to sell you when you launch that new packaging on Instagram again, like our followers are not thinking about our products as much as we are. And so you can even say launching first in our wholesale accounts, you know, widespread rollout in 2020.
1: How makes would that sense. feel?
0: Yeah. Right. Like all it takes is one sentence of setting expectations and then you're good to go. Yeah. I like that. And I also think that if you're at holiday fairs and you have the tins and you don't have the canisters, like... People will buy what option, whatever option you have for them.
1: Right. The only thing is that I can't then sell the unsweetened and the pure turmeric as Mm. well. So, you know, the display of the three together is really beautiful. Yeah. So, would you say that it's a bad idea to sell both the canisters and the tins at the markets?
0: I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. You'll just have. It'll be interesting to see what your results are. I mean, the, I completely agree that the, all of the new canisters, the paper canisters look really, really good side by side. Um, so by all means, I would sell those. I would certainly sell the pure, pure turmeric and the unsweetened at the markets, regardless of what you decide to do with the extra, um, the other canisters, or excuse me, the, the tins
1: the other tens yeah
0: yeah yeah alternatively okay. and i want to i want to go back to this idea of your retail accounts you could choose a few key retail accounts and a few by a few i mean like two or three where you're like hey hey Laura we've got a great relationship i want to let you know i'm transitioning to different packaging would you like to buy my remaining inventory i've got you know 40 cases left or whatever it is right
1: yeah. Okay. That that, that makes sense. sense. Okay. That could also be a first step and I see how that goes and then Yeah. And then it. I
0: wanted to give you one advice, one piece of advice on rolling out the new the new um paper canisters. And okay. one, especially as you do it for your wholesale accounts, I would say Anjali, the biggest thing is to position it as a packaging change rather than new SKU rollouts. Right, um, because if you position it as packaging change, and I know you've got one size that's different, and you've got the unsweetened. I know that you have a couple new products that you want to get in there, anyways. But like for the tin to the canister, as you, if you position it as a as a packaging change and then a line extension, it becomes less of a big deal, um, and it's easier for that buyer to to realize that it's the same product inside the packaging. And that it's, it's a much smaller leap, um, to bring in that new product. It's just a swap rather than bringing in an, ent- an entire new SKU. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That, okay. that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And you almost, you, you reach out to them and, and let them know almost the, I feel like the buyers listening are not going to like this, but almost <laughs> <laughs> as if there's no option to not bring in the new, the new packaging, right? It's just like, Hey, we are, we are on your next delivery starting, you know, whatever date starting December 1st, you will be receiving the paper canisters instead of the tins. Like here's the price difference. Here's the reason why we're doing it. Here's why it's so awesome. Like keep your eyes peeled for the paper canisters and just have it as easy as that. That's really smart. Okay. That really helps. Yeah. Great. You want to go on to question number two? Yes. All right. Give it to me.
1: So now that I've got more product that I've ever had on hand yep. and got the new packaging, um, I'm feeling a little conflicted about, you know, where to put my concerted energy. Um, and, uh, you know, with brick and mortar, I need to better ascertain the places that will respond appropriately to my price point Yep. as well as how to compete with lower quality and lower price competitors that yep. I can't compete with on price. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm, I, get, I get frustrated when I go into these really, you know, um, these like, especially like health food stores and places that, that really tout themselves as being really discriminating. And then I see Products that are culturally appropriated, products that are more buzzword than substance. And um, I don't know necessarily how to compete or to target the right places. Um, so then, you know, I'm wondering if I should really just put my energy into uh, cultivating my e commerce audience, which, you know, I think is important regardless. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I do have all the new packaging, but I also, uh, food service is, is really good for my. Yeah. my business because it's a yeah. steady business. So yeah. I kind of have to decide how to prioritize now.
0: Yep. Yep. And so I would, I, what I hear, and I, I see this a lot is that it's, it's tough because when you're selling through wholesale accounts, you're not directly selling to the end user, right? Like first, first you have to convince the wholesale buyer and then your product is sitting on the shelf and has to convince the retail shopper, right? So you are like, There's like a gatekeeper in between you and the end user. And it feels like you have to almost like double your efforts because you have to, you have to convince two sets of people to purchase your product.
1: Right? Right. And I have to convince the buyers that the customers care about the things that I'm selling. about.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I always, when I think about clients and retail ready students who, who feel like they have to put a lot of effort into nurturing accounts and growing their slow accounts and like figuring out where to place their efforts. I always, I always advise a few different things. And the first one is making sure that you are doing, do more of what is currently working. And it's that 80, 20 rule, right? Like 80% of your sales are going to come from 20% of your accounts. Right. You know? So, I mean, I'll ask you this, like, do you think it's, more important to nurture your best accounts or more impor- important to
1: bolster your slow selling accounts oh i think it's more important to nurture my best selling accounts okay great <laughs> great you passed um, <laughs> <laughs> you taught us well though <laughs> what did you say you taught us well yes
0: <laughs> so so i think one of the one of the so knowing that right i think the the important thing is measuring your sales and figuring out where they're coming from and what are the common threads of those best selling accounts. Um, all so that you can make a decision that's based off numbers and data rather than your gut of where your money's coming from and what accounts are working well for you. Right. Right. How do you do your sales tracking right now?
1: Uh, well, I mean, QuickBooks and Shopify reports. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That that's basically it. It's yeah. it's also relying on just knowing who buys what and yeah how yeah. fast they sell it.
0: Yeah. And so what I would do, Anjali, is figure out where where the most of where are most of your sales coming from, and making sure that your energy is appropriately allocated to that sales channel. And that might be a mix of things, right? It probably will be a mix of wholesale, uh, an e-commerce platform, whether that's direct to consumer or another, a third party platform. Um, and making sure that you're focusing your efforts on those things that are already working well. From there, I know that we've talked a lot about this in Retail Ready, but the idea of doing you know, staff education and shopper education okay. and making sure that people um, that people all along the chain, all along the sales chain, understand why your product is different. Um, I actually think that you, can I give you an idea here? Of course. Okay. I think that it would be cool knowing that we are in the fourth quarter and knowing that it is crazy time right now. I wonder if you couldn't gift single, single, uh, packs of your elixir to your key grocery staff just with a little note about like happy holidays i know you're working hard like mix this into hot water or hot oat milk and you'll feel nourished before your next floor shift like something like that that makes them think about you um not only for like a, a sales point of view but for um like for restorative like healing nurturing like wonderful health aspects, right? It would yeah, have to, it would have to go into. Obviously, it goes into your marketing budget. But like, I think a lot about. I think a lot about how you can take how you can make like mini sales replicas, like mini sales people, um, on your retail, like on the retail floor. And the best thing that you can do, like knowing that you've got limited energy for demos, literally, you know, limited time for demos. The best thing you can do is get those. Staffers psyched on your product?
1: For sure. I mean, I I do that when I go and demo um, anywhere. Yep. Um, I'm very liberal with not only my samples of like, you know, the actual mixed product that I'm yep. serving, but um, I go out of my way to give single serves to as many the people staff. in the, yeah. game in the yeah. store. Even, oh, that's, even that's so smart. When I, do that. Yeah. when I see people, like, I'll see someone who's sick and I'll give them a couple, be like, have one tonight before bed. And <laughs> You know, just it, just everyone's a potential customer in my my life. Yes. So, yeah, um, I definitely see it that way, and I know that the stores where the staff know and love my products, I, yeah. I know my sales are better there. Yeah, um, but just to go back to what you were talking about, is I I know for sure that the lion's share of my sales right now are coming from food service. So, yep. and just to be super honest about it. Um, I think that one of the factors has been that I don't know if my retail SKUs were necessarily serving my customers the best. I think that my new SKUs are actually going to be better for all of my stores. And I think it's going to get me in the door at places that might have been resistant because the tin was really good on the shelf, but it was very gifty. And yep. because like my 10 serving pouch actually would fall over. And, yep. <laughs> you know, so I had, I had these issues that I worked through with, you know, the new packaging. Yeah. Um, and I think the single servings and the canisters are going to work really well yeah. as, as SKUs. Um So I think that that's why, like, I think I've been sort of relying on food service and I want to continue to grow the food service. Yep. But I think it's like this is like a new opportunity to get excited about oh, being in different yeah. order. Yeah. I love that.
0: And I, you know, it goes back to the that idea that the buyer's goal is to sell more product, right? And so I think I it it relates to um, you know, a part of what you asked in this question here of like, what do you do? Or like, how, how should I say, how frustrating is it when your product is sitting next to a lower price competitor on the shelf who makes significantly lower quality product, right? Like that sucks. Um, however, and, and it's frustrating. I imagine it's frustrating because you think that buyer or that store has sourcing standards and quality standards, and yet it's not reflected in their product assortment, right? Right, um, but the the I know why it happens. Right, it happens because um, at the end of the day, they want sales. That buyer wants sales in that category, and so they have to have a product set that hits at a few different price points. And I was going to say quality, you know, quality standards, but mostly it's about pricing and making sure that they have different accessibility for their shoppers. Um, so that being said, and I know that this is a frustrating answer, but it really becomes dependent on you to convey why you're the price that you are and why someone should choose your product over the lesser price competitor. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> do you want to answer one more question? I think that we can do it if you want. Um, you're yeah, so
1: I yeah. think that Um, this is sort of on a different note. Yep. Um, I'm actually after the whole pilot works debacle, I'm finally moving into my own kitchen space later this week. Yep. Um, and, and so my, (laughs) I'm really like excited because having that space means I'm not being hourly and I have a, I have a few things that I'm anxious to launch. Yep. Um, but I'm also just finally at a place Uh, where I can commit more of my weekly time to sales. Yep. Um, And I don't want to leave any potential growth for the elixir on the table. Yeah. So I'm trying to decide when it is prudent to actually commit the time to getting into launching a new product.
0: Oh, I love this question. This is a really good question. Uh, Congratulations on your own kitchen space. That's awesome, I'm sure. I'm sure people are listening, and they're so jealous if they <laughs> shared kitchen space right now. Um, okay, I've got a couple of things to say here. And first off, I like I really like that you're committed to supporting sales around the SKUs that you have just launched or are like re relaunching, right? I think that that is I think it's so easy to put all of our energy into launching a product, but then not supporting the back end sales of it. So I think that your, your gut is, is really in the right spot there. Um, however, I, I know how exciting it is to launch new products. And I think that as entrepreneurs, like that's one of the things that, you know, we're good at and one of the things that fuels us forward. And so I've got, I've got two things to say, to say there, um, One, I think it's important to have really clear standard operating procedures in place for your current product mix before you try to launch new things, right? So that your process is completely documented. It's completely streamlined. It is as efficient as it can be before you start going and pursuing new things. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, because I think, I think a lot of times, and myself included, I get that shiny object syndrome where we're like, oh, we could do this. But like, I could do this. Or like, oh, it's going to be 2020 and, you know, it's going to be a new year and I'm going to like launch all these new things without making sure that we're really, really streamlined and operating as efficiently as possible. So I would say first thing, and maybe you're already there, but first thing, be really, really clear with yourself on how you need to um, systematize your workflow right now to, to make sure that things are running as smooth as possible before you take on the new, the new projects. And then I've got one other thing to say there. I think we always overestimate how much we can get done in a short period of time. And we always underestimate how much we can accomplish with consistency over a longer period of time. So like, how would it feel if you blocked out and we, you know, you can think about what works best for your schedule, but like, what if you spent like 20 minutes a day on developing new products for the first eight weeks of the year, or like. Maybe it's not 20 minutes a day because like your brain doesn't work like that, but maybe it's two hours a week for eight weeks in a row. Like some sort of longer term, but consistent work on a new project. How would that feel for you?
1: I think that's a really great idea. I think that'll give me that little, it'll get the juices flowing enough, but yeah. without, without distracting me too much.
0: Yeah. Cause sometimes what I do is, um, I, I'm going to use a non-food example here. Um, and it's this fall. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to clean, do like a deep clean of my house and my closets and like, you know, get rid of all this stuff in, I don't know, just to like get rid of some mental clutter and like I, of course, I like blocked out a weekend and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get the whole house done. I'm in mean, like a 700 square foot apartment. So, like, I was like, I can do this. No, like, I got one closet done and I'm like, this is awful. <laughs> this is, you know, this took me all weekend and all I did was clean out a single closet. And so instead, I shifted my thinking and I was like, okay, every day for the rest of the year, I'm gonna clean out one drawer. And so I just have a box in the corner that's my giveaway box. And every day, I spend about five minutes, and I clean out a single drawer. And I will tell you, I am almost done with with my whole apartment, and it feels so
1: good. Um, oh so my I think god! That, now I want to start cleaning my apartment.
0: Well, I. <laughs> You can, but uh, you should take path number two. <laughs>
1: well, I need to do both. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's like a reflection of your mental state. For yes, for sure, so. yes. Um, but I will
0: I will say that like it goes back to that idea that like we we overestimate how much we can get done in you know in the weekend or in the like single day, and instead, yeah, like I I originally said we underestimate how much we can accomplish with consistency. So, right, like it's been taking me five minutes a day to clean out a drawer and my house has never been like more lovely. Um, So I think about that with work projects. And so, Anjali, think about that schedule that works for you. Maybe it's not that 20 minutes a day. Maybe it really is like every Monday from 1 to 3 p.m. or like wherever you have that hole in the schedule um, or wherever you can create that hole in the schedule and then put it on your calendar and make an appointment with yourself and stick to it.
1: Right. I like that. Not black and white solution. Um, yeah. and I think that I can do that with a few different things.
0: I love um, that. I can't wait to see what you roll out next year. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I feel like you've got some big things on the horizon. Oh, you'll, you'll be a tester for sure. Yes. That's great. <laughs> okay. So how are you feeling after this, this little rapid fire session?
1: Great. I'm. I'm definitely like. I, I. need to take a lot of notes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. But. Um. But yeah. I'm. I'm super excited to start taking some action on things, and I feel like the timing for this conversation could not have been more perfect. Awesome. Well, that makes me so happy. And I. You know. I completely forgot to say this at the beginning because
0: I feel like you and I are are so connected through Retail Ready and on Instagram that we scheduled this conversation as a. As a result of winning a giveaway that I did, right? Great! Yes. Did you forget that too? (laughs) I totally did. Yeah. (laughs) So I did a giveaway for Food Biz Wiz right when I first launched, and I did my two truths and a lie. Gosh, I forget what they were. Um. And you, you identified which was the fib about me, and you won milk and coke. (gasps) Milk and coke. Oh yeah, the idea that I used to drink. My mom used to say that we could have milk. Or we could have a glass of Coca-Cola, but only if we had a glass of milk first. Um, And so the lie was that we would just mix it together and drink milk and Coke. But the ironic thing is that that's a lie for me, but that's a truth of my husband. He and his brother used to do this on pizza nights at their home, which I think is so gross.
1: That is crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to try it as an adult. I feel like, I don't know, it would be interesting to to see how he feels about it at this point, 30 (laughs) years later. Um, okay. So Anjali, I'm glad that you're feeling better. And I want to, I want to wrap up by saying two things. One, again, if people are listening and they haven't tried you, how can they find your product? Where, where can they find you? How can they, how can they purchase your product?
1: So, um, for those who are Amazon addicted, I am available on Amazon, just, uh, search for Resilience Turmeric Elixir and you'll see all my SKUs. Um, and of course, you can also shop on my website, bijabar.com B-I-J-A-B-H-A-R.com. And I have a 15% discount code for um, Allie's listeners. Um, awesome. Food biz whiz, Awesome. Um, all one word, all lowercase. Um, and of course, you can find me on Instagram at bijabhar.
0: Awesome. So I will link all of that in today's show notes, including the discount code and the Amazon link and all of that. I'll link your Instagram if people want to keep in touch with you as well. And Anjali, this was was so fun. I'm so thrilled that we got to do this today. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Ellie. And thank you for everything that you do. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great day. You too.
0: Thanks for tuning into this coaching call with Anjali, the founder of Bijabar. If you enjoyed this episode, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and have my assistants working through your strategy on your own business. Well, you guys know this, you can. I want that for you. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our twice a month live coaching calls. And I'd love to see you in there. Retail Ready Enrollment opens again soon and it kicks off with my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business. I'll have that linked here in the show notes and I can't wait for you to watch it, for you to learn more about me and how I work with clients, to assess whether or not Retail Ready is actually the right fit for you, and to learn my three steps on growing your packaged food biz. Come join me via the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to this episode and I can't wait to continue the conversation with you next week. Until then... Stay busy.
1: Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B I Z W I for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.